God, we gather in this time and place to worship, to hear words that guide and shape our faith, to receive communion that nourishes our souls as disciples of Christ, to express gratitude for your presence in and around us. We also come to pray, to share with you what is on our hearts and minds, or to simply sit with you when we are unable to articulate our prayers. You know us, God. You love us. You surround us with your grace and care. You know and appreciate our longings, our hopes, our deepest hungers, our supplications, and our celebrations. And so we pray with assurance that you are steadfastly attentive. Hear us as we pray for those who are desperate in their search for security, wholeness, health, and peace. Hear us as we pray for our circumstances when we can't seem to find them anything but depleted, empty, wandering. Give us the strength to trust you and your presence, to hear your still, small, encouraging voice, and to discover a peace that passes understanding. May we recognize and rejoice in the communities to which we belong, the people and places that offer us what we need to thrive, the families that claim and welcome us, the friends who laugh with us and help us find our way. And hear us now as we pray together as those who seek to follow Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
The witness of scripture this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with them. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, how can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat.
We are a posting culture. The wonders of technology allow us to share our lives with others, and it can be great fun to see the beautiful places, the smiling faces, the great meals, and the joys that are associated with moments like that. However, sometimes people post what is not very nice, certain messages that are meant to inflame divisiveness and promote hostility. Like any technology, posting on the various available platforms can be used for good or ill to build up or to tear down, to encourage or to demean. Sometimes people can look at postings and get a bit discouraged by comparing all the excitement that others are living to the mundanity of their own days we realize that one rarely posts the mundane. Only the special, joyful, eventful moments are included. One might post the beautiful yard, but never the mowing or the weed pulling. One might post a delightful dinner heartily eaten, but never the angst of shopping and preparation. To compare the rest of life with what gets posted, would inevitably leave us wanting. It is great to see the moments of joy, but it is unrealistic to expect life to always be like that. Well, do you ever wonder what would Jesus post? Probably not. And why would you, unless you're a minister looking for a sermon? Unlike its predecessor, there is not likely a profitable market for WWJP bracelets. And yet, there may be some value in wondering what Jesus would post, what Jesus would like known. It's a question that came to mind because of the way the story from the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel ends. Jesus strictly told the disciples not to tell anyone about what had happened. To put it in 21st century jargon, Jesus said to them, don't post this. Why? Why wouldn't Jesus want everyone to know his healing to people who are suffering and in grave danger? Wouldn't news like that keep the crowds coming, the curious engaged, the headlines printing? Breaking news, Jesus heals two more in Capernaum. Film at 11. If people are looking for a bit of good news in a if it bleeds, it leads world, this is pure gold. Jesus strictly ordered them that no one should know this. At which point, most of Jesus' marketing team starts looking for other work. Who knows exactly why? But it's, imp but it's possible that Jesus is concerned people will turn him into a commodity, into an object existing only for what people can get out of him. 
To be sure, there are wondrous moments of compassion, healing, joy to be celebrated, but there is more to being with Jesus than what can be gotten out of Jesus. Christianity, despite what coiffed preachers in tailor-made suits proclaim, is more than a payoff. It's difficult, maybe even impossible, to move from a religious perspective that focuses entirely on the self to a faith that cares about and wants what is best for others. Will Willimon says it this way, I don't see how one comes to the faith out of selfishness, God make me unmiserable, make me happy, make me fulfilled, and ends up with the kind of selflessness which is in the life and teachings of Jesus. It is little wonder that many people seem surprised and a bit baffled when their preachers dare to mention some of the ethical demands of the gospel. Many of them have signed on to the faith with only the expectation of rewards and are baffled with all this talk about responsibilities. Religion in general, and Christianity in particular, is more than a resort that caters. Jesus has faced this presumption, this temptation before, remember? Remember? Still wet from his baptism and in the wilderness, it was the tempter who said to him, turn these stones into bread and Jesus, the people will be eating out of your hand. We recall how Jesus responded. You don't live by bread alone which is his way of saying there is more to life than getting your loaf and only returning when you want more. Because if that is all someone wants from life, then it won't be long before people will be saying to Jesus, um, when are you going to get some marble rye or some honey wheat or some cracked loaf? Jesus is the bread of life, but not the bread dispenser Messiah. There's a difference. We would never ever diminish Jesus's healing. We have the greatest of care for anyone who is hurting and desperate, like both Jairus and his daughter, along with this chronically sick and depleted woman. But faith does not always come in the context of hurt and desperation, and in fact, most of the time, it's the opposite. Faith happens more often in the mundane than in the spectacular. Abraham and Sarah get called away from their settled lives and their regular pension. A couple of fishermen are asked to drop their nets, go on a trip. A tax gatherer is asked to leave his office and learn to count in a different way. A couple of tent makers or garment traders are asked to help a widow preach a sermon. It is not headline news, but it is good news. We miss too much of Jesus when we only look for him on the front page. 
We miss too much of faith if we assume only the fantastic is post-worthy. The life of faith, much of the time, is not glorious, but it is steadfast. It's not spectacular, but it is determined. It's not showy, but it is courageous. Even this story from Mark's Gospel, for all its wonder, reflects that idea. While the healings of Jairus' daughter and the long-suffering woman are also told by Matthew and Luke, Mark, in contrast to his usual pattern, takes more time with these stories than the other Gospels. Mark wants us to see this sick little girl and this life-drained woman. Mark's description is palpable. Jesus has been with foreigners, and now he has crossed the sea back to the familiar side where he is met not by a billowing wave, but by a wave of suffering. Look at Mark's description. A wave of people pressing in on him until Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, presses harder and tells him of the suffering of his daughter, 12 years old. Maybe Jesus remembered being in the temple when he was 12, so full of life, asking the teachers so many questions. He knew what it was like to be 12 and fully alive, so without hesitation, he turns to go with Jairus. And that is when this woman presses in more resolutely than the crowd, more than the leader of the synagogue. And Mark says of her, she had been suffering, had endured much, had spent all her money, had grown worse. What is it that Mark is saying? She is thoroughly a has-been, one to be avoided, not one to be welcomed. And if she's a has-been, Jairus' daughter is a not yet. Or, as others would soon tell him, a goner or a lost cause because Jesus had spent too much time with this has been. Now we ponder what Mark is posting for us to see. We are on the ground in this story with the crowd by the sea or perhaps we are with the crowd outside of Jairus' house. We note that what often gets the attention in this miracle story is that they are healed, made well, restored, and it's important to pay attention to those words because they're not the same. And yet, Mark is not all that enamored with showing the miracle in itself. Instead, Mark lets us see Jesus and the woman. Mark lets us see Jesus and the little girl. The woman brushes up against him. Jesus takes the little girl by the hand. These simple, mundane acts of gentle humility 
and wondrous humanity. How many of us now see this story so differently? Having spent the last 16 months missing, being with each other, missing, reaching out to each other. Mark says to brush up against Jesus is to be in touch with the one whose life, energy, and relationship is about healing what is wounded and bridging what is distanced and reconciling what is estranged. Mark says to be taken into the hands of Jesus is to be reached by someone who cares for the little ones and who is present where there is sadness and who is restoring what is lost. Mark wants us to see Jesus with the woman and with the little girl. Wants us to see that neither is a has-been or a not-yet. Instead, they are daughter, family. In his book, A Nazareth Manifesto, Samuel Wells writes that being that with is the most important word in theology. And the task of theology is to describe the with. Wells asserts it is in the nature of God to be with us. From the call of Moses, through the eloquence of second Isaiah to the exiles in the fiery furnace, God is with Israel and with describes the gospel story. From the birth of Emmanuel to his parting words at the ascension, Christ's mission is to be with us. Jesus is Emmanuel before he is Savior, for by overcoming our isolation, Jesus saves us. We want the Jesus that comes down from the cross. The Jesus that rights wrongs, ends pain, corrects injustice. We want solutions. We want our problems fixed, and that's certainly understandable. But what humankind needs is a love that sticks around, a love that stays put, a love that hangs on. That's what the cross is, a love that hangs on. God calls us to be with others, and this is the God we are called to imitate. And Mark wants us to see that, and he wants us to live that. If we have learned anything over the last year and a half, perhaps we have learned that life is a divine gift, that being present with each day is a divine gift. Maya Angelou says it simply, this is a wonderful day. I have never seen this one before. Mark wants us to see that this day here or that day by the Sea of Galilee is the day in all its beauty and pain that God shows up to be with this wildly undomesticated god is on the move kate laser describes jesus as one 
who looks us in the eye and speaks to us of God's uncompromising love, who startles us with more forgiveness than we deserve and challenges us to extend the same to others, who commands us to love enemies, serve the poor, and see ourselves in the stranger. Mark wants us to see this one who comes to be with the has-been and the not-yet, wants us to see that the life of faith goes beyond getting only our loaf of bread from Jesus. Mark wants us to see that beyond whatever wounds or losses or hurts that we all carry, and beyond whatever wants or desires or expectations we all have, Jesus is the one who, coming to be with us, will also always call us to be with him. Why? Because it is in the nature of divine compassion to be with and to transform life. So, loving, caring, healing in the spirit of Christ changes lives. Post that. Post that. Or better yet, be that presence. Be that way with one another. Because in so being, we do in fact become the answer to the question, what would Jesus post?